Hi there, this is Jim the Keys Bartender. If you're not familiar with the Keys Bartender podcast, we are a podcast about Keys life, bartending, and life in general. Today we'll be talking about pre-made mixes and drinks. When is it suitable? When is it not suitable? Should you do it at all? Who knows, right? Also, I'm going to be talking about, I'm thinking about, I always think about a title for the show and I don't know what necessarily to do it because I want to make eye-catching and have to do with the content. I was going to be talking about Barbarians at the Gate. That's a title. Or The Hedonic Treadmill. And you know what? That sounds kind of something you hear on NPR, which I do enjoy NPR and stuff like that. But I do, I, I kind of like to mix it up and things like that. But I want to first start about today, we're going to be talking about pre-made mixes, about the uptick of tourists in the Keys, and um, maybe a little about people's perceptions on what's going on down here in other places, right? So, let's talk about pre-made mixes. Now, because I was thinking about Barbarian at the Gate, because at work down here, and you've heard if you're a listener, we're in the midst of our busy season, and there's a lot of people down here. Just this past Wednesday was the beginning of Lent, and it also coincides with uh, spring break. You know, pardon the sound in the background. There's construction work going on around the corner, so you're going to hear a little, just a little, not a lot. I hope I hope it's that way. I may have to cover up or something like that. But at our place of work, we don't have uh, a hostess or host. So we just take people in as we go. Now, we are a smaller place that happens to have a lot of seating, but not a lot of parking. Now, once our parking is full, we usually have a pretty good full house for the capacity of what we have handling for in the kitchen and on the floor and at the bar. Because we can fill out the whole restaurant, every seat. But unfortunately with that, we don't have a kitchen really to handle that. We don't have the size kitchen to handle that. We could do big events where you only have a percentage of the people eating, right? So we can we can concentrate on getting drinks out to them and things like that. But on a night in during the busy season, you'll start we'll start getting um, we don't have we do take reservations, but we don't encourage reservations. Because we just let people sit down. And the things when you when you don't do reservations and you allow people to seat at their own leisure, you, we can quickly become inundated with people. Now, it's hard for them to know that because we can have, let's say I have 22 people at the bar. And then we have another seats for 30 people in the bar area. So that's 50 people. And then we have room for maybe 60 to 70 in our main uh Salon, and then we have the other one in the back, another uh, 25, 30 people. And then we have our outside patio where we can have another 50. Now, at most, we can handle three servers. Why? Because our kitchen, you can keep on putting orders in, but the kitchen is, is a, it's a small kitchen, relatively small kitchen. So you can only have maybe two and a a third person backing up in their prep area. So you can have two guys behind the line, one person backing up, and a dishwasher. There's four people. 
and there's only a limited amount of food they can do. And it's always peak. You know, there's peak time. It's between, let's say, seven and eight. And that's what people come in. And you got to manage your expectations and things like that. But when it comes to that, and I, I'm a bartender. I'm not an expert on the kitchen, but I do know from experience what they can handle. As a bartender, I know, like earlier in the week on this past Wednesday, it was National Margarita Day. Now, we had, I had a lot of margaritas, but I was able to handle it. But if National Margarita Day fell on Friday or Saturday, I would have pre-made margaritas. Just well margaritas made with the well tequila, well triple sec. And I would just make that, shake it up, and put it in there. And we can, you know, you can justify that by maybe doing on the, on a specials day, discounting the price. Now, if someone says, insists, they says, I want you to make mine better. I said, well, that wouldn't be the discounted price. And not that it's all made in the same day. You don't make enough for the whole day. You have a, you make enough margaritas to take the load off. Let's say 50, 60% of your capacity. Now, there, there's some things, if you're known as a pina colada place, and you do a lot of pina colada, a lot of people pre-make their pina colada mix. Now, we don't pre-make our pina colada mix because on a busy night, we may have 10 pina coladas, 15 pina coladas. I know it's weird. We don't have that as many frozen drinks as you think. So I've never chosen to pre-make the mix. I'm just talking about the mix because you can't really, a frozen drink, you have to really be kind of in the now for. Meaning you, you, you can mix the pineapple and the Coco Lopez, which is the mixer you put in with the rum and the ice and blend it. But we choose not to do it. We choose to do, the make you know, when we make it, we put some ice in, we put a little Coco Lopez with a little pineapple, put a rum and you blend it. We found it makes a fresher pina colada. And considering that we don't do a ton of them, that's the best way. But when it comes sometimes for margaritas, it does... You know, sometimes you got to take it on the chin. You got to make your ego go by the wayside. Yeah, you want to make it all, you know, what if someone's calling out the tequila? Well, you know, most people don't. But every so often you get that. You'll get the Patron Margarita. You can say, I want 1800 Or I want, uh, gosh, there's tons, Heridura. And you got to be careful because the more higher end the tequila, the more pristine your mixes have to be. Like you have to use a fresh lime juice and maybe agave nectar when you're using a tequila that costs $14, $20 a shot. You don't want to be using sour mix. But if you're making a six, $7 margarita, there's no problem using that sour mix with lime juice and things like that. There's always price points that people have to be aware of. You're not going to be using fresh lime juice, fresh agave for um, a six, seven dollar margarita. It's just untenable and it ruins your it ruins your profit motive, right? Everyone wants to make the best, but some people sometimes you have to, you know, you got to gauge the ingredients if you want to make a a budget uh, someone where someone has a budget where they want to look for the low price. You know, there's people that come in for happy hour. And there's other people, and they, they want those happy hour drinks. They want those drinks that reduce prices. 
a lot of people, they don't care. They drink what they drink. So you got to balance it between what you're going to get your drinks. You want to get as many drinks out as possible and be able to make everyone happy. So it's usually, it's usually kind of like a balancing act. But it is a balancing act, and we can do that. So just be considerate of that when you're doing it. Now, obviously, the higher-end place, you got to do everything right scratch. Because when your base price for a margarita is like $12, $13, you better not be making it at a pre-mix. That's a fair warning. Okay, back to the barbarians at the gate. Now, when I said that, you might think I'm making a veiled comment about a year and a half, a year ago. I was supporting the uh, the Ukrainians in the Russian invasion of Ukraine, supporting the Ukrainians. And I'm still a supporter of them. And hopefully the U.S. government, I, I have a problem with when a sovereign nation that's struggling to become democratic is invaded by a neighbor. And I know the history of the U.S. We've done that before with, you know, Mexico, Haiti, uh, the Dominican Republic, and tons, and try to do it to Canada in the War of 1812. I'm not a hater of the United States. Almost all the time through history, any established country has tried to invade its neighbor. It's just what countries do. And, you know, at certain times, if you're on the receiving end of it, you, you're seen as sometimes, depending on how heavy-handed the invading country is, it could look like darker, darker. It's much darker because considering Putin's a, you know, authoritarian and he's looking to unseat a democratically elected government. But I wasn't talking about that. I know I went all that thing. Or I wasn't making a veiled comment about the immigrant, uh, what do you call it? I'm doing air quotes right now. So it's the immigrant quote unquote crisis. We always had immigration in the United States. Matter of fact, this time in our history, as a percentage of our population, which currently stands somewhere north of 320 million people, 320 million people, it's percentage wise is at historic lows, historic lows. Because before uh, in time, certain times in our history, we've had uh, waves of immigration that occurred that went way beyond one, one to two percent of our population. So one to two percent nowadays would be three point two billion, six point four billion each year. Each year, so that was more in the early eighteen hundreds, going through the late eighteen hundreds, early twentieth century. And, and did I say 1900s? That percentage was much higher, and now it's it's a it's dramatically lower. And uh, but we're focusing it more on it and with the type of communications and the type of media that we have available. Meaning we can show pictures of people coming across the border and things like that. But you know, in in the early part of the 20th century and the, the 19th century, they saw, you know, every so often they get take some still pictures. They'd show Ellis Island and the other immigration points of the United States. But there's something graphic about seeing a boat of, let's say, 150 Haitians hopping off and coming off at the Florida Keys, right? What it looks like is that we're being inundated. But you know what? In our local papers, 
and the local chat and all that stuff, we're not talking about it. We're not ignoring it. We're just not talking about it. We're just used to it. It happens. We don't see a bunch. I'm looking out my window right now. I'm looking down the street. There isn't a bunch of immigrants running down the street. Every so often a boat does land. People say, oh, yeah, we saw that happen and stuff like that. And the local authorities ended up, you know, they end up getting them and take them into custody and things like that. It's not it's not a big deal as the news media would make you believe. Because I had a friend, friend of mine from Philadelphia say, oh, you got a problem with the immigration. I said, well, no, the, you know, the big problem in the Keys right now is we've had a lot of traffic fatalities because of the influx of traffic due to being peak season. I don't want to say that we are experiencing more deaths on our highway. I know I told all, talked about all these other things and it boils down to traffic fatalities. But what happens? <clears throat> they do a lot of traffic studies down here because in season, obviously, traffic gets backed up and there's tons of traffic. People get frustrated. And whenever they get an opening, they end up speeding. They get used to being stuck in traffic that's going below the speed limit and they're cognizant of the time that it's take how much time it's taking them longer to travel a certain distance. Right? And then you got people being more aggressive in their driving habits. Uh, Was it a week ago, we had a state trooper who was not necessarily speeding, but he was going down the highway, uh, Route 1, our main road, and he hit a pedestrian that tried to, I hate to say it this way, unwisely cross without making sure everything was clear. And what happens as happens many times with these things, the state trooper's view was blocked by another vehicle and the person that was crossing the road did not see, I guess, the same thing. If the state trooper can't, the driver can't see the pedestrian, the pedestrian sometimes can't see the driver either being blocked by another view and he may have crossed at the exactly wrong time and it ended up this poor person died. But there's been... The frequency, uh, the frequency goes up, obviously, with more traffic. And we still have traffic deaths, traffic fatalities when it's out of season. It just seems people are just a little more impatient. A little more impatient when it comes down there. And that's the thing about when you're down here, when you're driving. And I've had people ask me, and they go, Oh, how long have you been down here? How much do you like it? And this and that. And I said, Well, you know, I like it. It is paradise, but I've noticed recently, because of that, our, in, our population has been a, a pretty decent, the year-round population of the Keys has gone up steadily since I've been down here. It's been going up steadily forever, I guess, because that's what happens in vacation destinations. I think until something, let's say, catastrophic you know, happens, the environmental uh, uh, thing or, or some hurricane comes and stuff nails us. That population is just going up. Supposedly, the county is putting uh, the kibosh in 2023 about issuing permits for building, but I I haven't seen that. So we have this one road, 
root one. With very limited space to expand, we really can't expand. Sometimes they do expand the road to make it a little wider, but it doesn't really matter because most of the road, the predominant amount of mileage going down the road is two lanes, one lane south, one lane north, where it expands up from where I live. It's four, it's two lanes south, two lanes north, and then it goes down to once you get to near mile marker 90, goes down to two, and then you have to wait until you get down to Marathon for, I don't know, six, seven miles, and it goes back to uh, two lanes. Oh, you got, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of the, uh, yeah, goes back to two lanes when it leaves there. And I could be wrong, you know, on that stuff. But but most of the Route 1 is two lanes. And because of the limited area that we're, we're working in, obviously it's probably going to remain that way. So we have people, we have an influx of people, and we have a road that really doesn't change. There's not nothing you can do about it. Really isn't. Uh, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna double deck the roadway. They're not gonna build a tunnel. They're not gonna widen it all the way through. And you know what happens when you widen roads or you add roads? Like if you're familiar with uh, city planning, if a city puts in more highways because of growth, by the time they're done constructing those highways, those highways are practically obsolete, meaning they get all crowded. Uh, way. Uh, the keys used to function up until the 1930s is there was virtually there was some roads here but it was mainly um, a railroad it was only a railroad until the early 1930s and then it was a national recovery act by under during the depression where they put in a highway to build down here so people would get down come down by train to get down to Key West or come down by boat. That was the only two options you had until the highway was built. Or you could swim. You could swim down there, but you know, you could carry really limited stuff. So I really, I think it's find it really interesting that every so often we'll see that someone's running a highway study to see how much traffic there is. And then because of the increased traffic, they realize that some of these neighborhoods that are growing, they need more traffic signals. And that just exasperates the problem. So you have more traffic, you add more traffic signals. When I first came down here to the Keys, there was, uh, there's a traffic signal at 107, let's say, where Key Largo Elementary School is. And that's for school crossing it's not working all the time i mean it works all the time but what do you mean it's for crossing the highway and there's a crossing yard there and then we have the next signal for you 107 you have to go about five and a half miles to 106 where there's trade winds plaza and there's a traffic signal there and you go from 106 in key largo which is one of the bigger keys here right you get another traffic signal now, before that traffic signal, there's a pedestrian crossing, and that was added. That was one of the new introductions here, and that was added, I'm going to have to say, a little over 10 years ago, 
if I'm not correct, it took a while for people to get un- understand what it was about. It's one of those lights. It's not it's not for motor vehicles. It's just for pedestrians and bicyclists crossing the highway. Though why they put it there, I don't understand because it's only 300, 400 yard, uh, 300 yards away from the traffic signal. But a lot of people were getting hit there. So they put that up there. Actually, there's uh, there's miles where there's no pedestrian crossing. There's miles of road where there's no pedestrian crossing. But they figured that's the place to put it. Now, so we got we got down to mile marker 101, uh, 100 or 99.5 where there's a traffic signal. And then there's not another one until you get to mile marker, let's say 92. There's a traffic signal. That was just added this uh, previous year. And then a couple miles south, you have one in Tavernier, another one mile. So, so you have these interruption and flow. And right at 90, there's a traffic signal right at 91, let's say, or 90. And then the road goes from four lanes to two lanes. And that's a backup. And then you got a drawbridge in between there. And, and not another signal until you get down to... I'm going to wager a guess. I think there may be one in Leighton. There's one about 20 miles, a little, about 20 miles south, maybe. And then you have to go another 20 miles to get the marathon. And then you have one or two more signals when you get there from my market 45, let's say, until you get down to Key West. So there you go. And on the busiest of weekends, it is virtually a standstill. Standstill going down there. You got traffic going down. It could be going 20, 25 miles an hour once you get south of Key Largo. And it isn't going to change. And it isn't going to get better. The solutions are um, maybe restrictions on people and saying, listen, we're going to try to reduce, you know, the amount of, I mean, you can't, you, you don't want to reduce the people, the day, day travelers that come down, because we're a tourist economy. But then you can put a restriction on somebody. You could just start charging a toll. You, they, they thought about all these things. The one thing they don't talk about is replacing the traffic with a low-cost alternative. Low-cost alternative. What's the only other alternative? Right now, if you don't want to drive down here, you can choose to walk, bike, or take our antiquated, antiquated, I think it's antiquated would be the word, public transportation system, which is the Miami-Dade bus that leads from uh, Florida City Homestead area and comes down here and goes all the way down to Marathon. And then there's another bus system you get on to get down to Key West. And that is infrequent at best. I did ride the Miami Dade bus before. It's not so bad. It's not a bad bus at all. It's a very comfortable bus. But sometimes you're waiting an hour or more, and it doesn't run around the clock. So if you... If you go back in time and you think about it, at one time in human history, pre-World War II, and in other parts of the United States, uh, 
public transportation was a much bigger part of people's lives. It wasn't unusual. You could have a a vehicle at home, but a lot of times people would choose to take public transportation because of the ease of travel, getting on a train, getting on a subway. If you're traveling through New York, sometimes the least efficient way to travel or the quickest way is not is definitely not driving. If you need to get in, you just go underground, you save a little time, you save parking, you save your time, and you save the aggravation taking the subway. Now, some people think when they go into the subway, they're taking the lives in their hand. Well, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. You know, I've ridden the subway in big cities. I've never really felt threatened within the normal times of the day. I know intermittently that happens, but it also happens on the roadways. There's road rage. There's people with uh, firearms and stuff like that. So I would suggest that we start making it promoting. If you promote public transportation and you make uh, vehicle travel for those that don't have to travel by vehicle m- more cost prohibited and make it more uh like convenient for people to get by having more frequent buses. If you could get on a bus every 15 minutes, you know, that would just be very much easier choice if you think about it, other than in the traffic and reduce the load. And then you would charge a toll for people that are coming down on day trips, people that don't have to go. People that don't have to drive down there. Encourage people to, let's say, carpool. Tomorrow morning I have to get up and I have to go up to Miami to do something for my part-time job. And I have to drive by myself. There is no one to ride with right now. And it's on a Saturday morning. I'm not going to, it's, it's not peak. That's why I took this option of going on Saturday morning. But that doesn't help. If I was, you know, there is no... There, there could be like a website saying, listen, you can sign up. These are pre-approved people. You can't be a felon or, you know, someone dangerous to get in a car. There's all options we have that are unthought of. But the one thing you're not going to be able to do is increase capacity on the road. What you have to do is take away the traffic. And they've done it in places. They've done it in London. In the center city of London, you have to have pay for the privilege of driving in, in London, your private vehicle. So the best way to get around, the most convenient way, and the most affordable way would be to take public transportation. In a lot of cities in Europe, it's that way, and in Asia. So we just got to make it cool and this. I mean, you know, people have the very independent streak. They want to drive and stuff like that. Well... If it, I mean, it, it just seems that as we develop down here, it's just getting these things where you're spending more time. We develop cars that accelerate faster. There's more conveniences in them and things like that. But in the keys, you're in the peak of the season. You're not going any faster than you know, in some areas around here than a bicycle would. Than a bicycle would. So I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you for listening. I'll be back again. I don't know, maybe during the week. I'll talk to you later. Have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you later. Bye.